makes you such a threat. We choose the right to be who we are. We know the difference between the reality of freedom and the illusion of freedom. There's a way to live with Earth and a way not to live with Earth. We choose the way of Earth. It's about power. Chasha. Greetings and good day and welcome relatives. I shake your hands with good feelings in my heart and it's good for all of us to be here. Since 1992, this is First Voices Radio, Antiochus and Ghost Horse sending you greetings and strength from the highlands of the Esopus and the lands of the Muncie-speaking Lenape. This is an all-native hosted, all-native produced, and Liz Hill, the producer of First Voices Radio. In 1993, indigenous peoples such as the Yakima, Klickitat, and other nations gathered to stop the violent disrespect to a time and memorialized place of sustenance called the Nainimi Waki Uklit, or the Klickitat Nation. The late Dakota John Trudell spoke to bring attention and support to efforts of recognizing and honoring treaty rights often dismissed by Western concepts of property, the guise of money, and the system which makes everyone vulnerable to a situational acceptance of democracy. Trudell spoke at the Evergreen State College in Olympia, Washington, in front of an audience of innocence and apologetic predatory energy. Listen in to this timeless recording, only edited for broadcast without removal of context. We want to thank you for listening to First Voices Radio. Okahe, John Trudell. I'd like to, uh, first of all, thank you for being here, and I'm glad I'm here. If I say anything that you don't agree with, let's just leave it at that. It's not about anything other than whatever comes out, comes out. And I'm going to start with some poems. This first poem I call The Magic Valley. Earth DNA, poles, genetic memory, ancient spirit, sky, father sky, the magic valley, earth, mother earth, childhood distances, hard to remember what was never to be forgotten, never to be forgotten, predators stalk all living things, the death mask feeds on living essence, feelings become fugitives, emotions cold alibis, when hurt, can't hurt anymore, raged ones rise, feeding the beast, all aggression is justified, and the beast grows. Flow of thought, harnessed into mindsets, a damning, 
diseased spirits, cannibals and vampires feast, mining mines in civilized ritual, the religion of business and machine, pay homage to technologic gods. At material altars, the mass prays a prayer of need and wanting more. Earth DNA pulls genetic memory, ancient spirit, sky, father sky, the magic valley, earth, mother earth, what was never to be forgotten, children of earth, what we see affects our realities, what is always to be remembered, the beast needs us to believe, always to be remembered, free our minds, free the reality. See, just so that we have an understanding. I, I come from the tribes. I remember I had that much of my identity. And um, when I look at what's happening here in the Western Hemisphere, I can't forget that tribal memory. I may not know the language. I may not know many things, but I know but I do know many things also. But what I remember with my genetic memory, which is the basis of many of my realities, is that the way that people need to live with this hemisphere, with the earth in reality, but with this hemisphere, is the people need to live with the earth, not on it, not from it, with it. See, it's not about... So that to me, democracy is the enemy of the tribes. To me... Technologic industrial civilization is the enemy of the tribe. It is the enemy of the natural world. To me, uh, it's like the, the concept of male dominating gods, to me, is the enemy of the natural world. And with democracy, we'll start with this. In, before there was a democracy, or before there was even the concept of democracy, the tribes were the majority of the people on this hemisphere. Then came the democracy, and now there is a democracy, and the tribes are the smallest numerical minority. See, so I have a problem. It makes the whole abstraction that people keep hurtling about democracy, it makes it a very ugly lie to me. The the reasoning and the excuses that are made, they will know that's not the way democracy is supposed to work. I don't accept that. To me, democracy does exactly what it was created and designed to do. It was created and designed to protect and perpetuate the interest of the ruling class landowner. Now, if America is the seat of democracy, we'll understand this. If you are a white male, you didn't get to vote or have any say in the concept because you had no value if you didn't own land. If you were a woman, you were considered to be inferior. So therefore, you had no say because your intelligence was not respected. If you were black, you were property. So therefore, you had no say. And if you were from the tribes, an Indian, you were, not, not a, you were the majority. So therefore, you were the enemy because the idea of majority rule obviously couldn't work <laughs> with their perception. Now, see, I bring this up, now not to confuse it, 
communism, capitalism, socialism, <laughs> Nazism, they're all, to me, different, different ways of painting the face of the predator. They're different masks that this small industrial ruling class, that this ethnic rich, these are the ways they paint the mask on so that everyone thinks it's a little bit different. But the net result of this is that there are a the ethnic ruling class, the industrial rich, a small minority of people that profit from all of this. See, and now for me as a tribe, see, I don't want to get into your political messes and concepts, but see, it threatens our survival and our life. If the American people don't start to get it pretty soon about what is going on, that's an immediate threat to us. See, now we have survived to this point because we've had the enemy and we've had the sympathizers and somehow that's kind of just, it's kept us alive and it's in some bizarre abstract way. But now they're talking about new world order <laughs> and they're talking about many, many things. See, so for us as tribes, it's in our best interest that it somehow the citizens of America start to understand what is happening. But there seems to be a problem in getting the citizens to really think about it because, see, it's un-American. It, it's, it's like almost planted in the mind. It's negative to question democracy. See, so every, nobody even wants to think it. See, so every decision that you make to correct the problem, you keep it in this abstraction that has no respect for any of you's voice. Because it is what it is, and what it was created is what it is. It was created to protect the interest of the ruling class property owner. Now we are being faced with serious things. The way that they have, the way that they have discovered of murdering the air and the water and attacking the earth and this, with this new, this new deadliness that they have created, these new concepts and forms of death that have been created. See, and we have to come face to that. See, like to understand, like in Europe, see, they had what the plagues. And they had these times during the Dark Ages in Europe when all this death because of the uncleanliness, the human uncleanliness ravaged Europe at some point in the Dark Ages. See, well now there's a technological uncleanliness. And it's ravaging the environment that the people need to live. See, so literally, our act has to be cleaned up. See, so somewhere in here, we need to at least not be afraid to think and consider the realities of what are going on. Because DNA, descendant and ancestor, descendant and ancestor. So we are the descendants, but we are also the ancestors. So somewhere in here, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to take care of our descendants, the ones we are the ancestors to. We have a responsibility to do that. Our relationship to the earth in the reality of power, the reality of power, not, not the illusion of authority 
See, authority, see, we've been programmed with this great illusion that authority is power. But it's not. See, authority is something else. Power is something else. Power, real power, is in our relationship to the earth and the universe. Real power is in relationship with us to ourselves, human being, human physical being, spirit. Real power is in the relationship of the human to the being to the earth. Now that's what real power is. Everything else is an illusion of real power. And it only becomes power when we step into the illusion and no longer understand the reality, then, then in some reverse way. Now, our relationship to the earth. See, our whole relationship to the earth changed with the concept of the male-dominating God. Because the male-dominating God, the notion of the male-dominant God, is that all spiritual or religious, spiritual value was converted to religious value and placed above the earth. Above the earth. Changing the relationship of all of the people to viewing the earth as the mother entity. It changed that perception to one of a, of a male removed from the earth. See, and after that change came, then it became all right to attack the earth. And the attitude became from protecting the earth to exploiting the earth. Now, what we have in common, DNA, DNA, we all have the DNA of the earth. We are made up, flesh and blood is of the materials of the earth. So we all have that. That's who we are. We are a part of the earth. We are earth and water. That's what we are. So obviously, in terms of real power, our connection is into protecting that, because that's what we are a part of. But the male-dominating God theory, well, see, at one time, our DNA all comes from the earth. Within what I call our genetic memory, all right, is the information that goes all the way back to our beginning. We are the ancestors and the descendants. See, what we all, every one of us in this room, have in common is that at some point in the history of our people, we were all tribes. Every one of us are descendants from tribes. And every one of us, the way what are called the Indians, the tribes of the Western Hemisphere, the way the tribes of the Western Hemisphere resisted, it wasn't just whites, it was this whole world view of this technologic civilization. But anyway, the way that the tribes resisted within the more recent history was the same way your ancestors resisted in the ancient history. Nobody took the male-dominating God thing willingly. Now, this is, has to do, and this has to do everything, this has everything in the world to do with sexism. See, because in or prior to that, there really wasn't this, this whole notion of sexism when we were the tribes. See, sexism came with, with the, 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 the establishment of the concept of a male God and see, and then what had, but see, but with the tribes, everybody understood the value of male, female in the natural, real world. So there's this tremendous amount of respect in, because people understood the balance of power. So the woman had to be attacked because she represented the earth. She represented too much in the minds of the people. 
See, so this, so this what we will call revisionism. See, I mean, it's like, see, for the tribes of Europe, they're related to the earth as the mother, the earth as the mother, but in terminology as the goddess. And the serpent, see, and the serpent represented, was close to the earth, represented the goddess. See, they knew they couldn't erase that from the minds of the people. So what they did was they created Adam and Eve <laughs> and the Garden of Eden. And therefore, then the, so then the woman and the serpent are teamed up. But see, but it, crea- it brought sin. <laughs> now, this was deliberately done. And I say this because it's as factual as I can understand it to be. See, and it's, but anyway, for us, it's in our best interest to understand the realities that we have to deal with. Because at some point, we have to face our responsibility about the DNA, about our role in the continuation and the evolution. See, and the way that to me it's obviously going is that there probably in the end is no political solution or no economic solution or no military solution. There is no existing solution. We have to create it. See, more than save the democracy, more than save the male-dominating God concepts, which basically have to do with obedience and subservience, male, more than to saving these dominating, feeding, predatory concepts, at some point, we're going to have to make a decision, are we going to protect this earth or are we going to protect these things that have been designed to feed off of us? Designed to feed off of us. Predatory energy. Predatory energy. The same way they can take and, and mine the resources of the earth and turn it into a fuel to run the machine electrical world that we're becoming more and more a part of. There's a way that they have created to mine the spirit Human being, human physical being, spirit, to mind the being through the human, to feed off of our spirit and our essence. See, because then, when they're feeding off of that, there's no way there can be any balance or any clarity, and that we, we need in ex- excess, we need these other things that the other energy system is creating. And just as we see in the other energy system, that, I mean, the things that mind to make the resources, what we look at, the world, the electric neon world we're in now, well, we see the results, the pollution. We see we, more, people become more and more environmentally aware. Right? And see the pollution and the poisoning, what's happening. Right? The internal mining process, the mining of the being through the human. Well, every insecurity and fear and paranoia that you have, all right, don't want to face, every self-doubt is the pollution left over from the mining of our essence spirit because it's in the best interest of the predator that we number one we don't see clearly because it's all about perception it's a diseased spirit Columbus was a diseased spirit he was I mean <laughs> human form and all that but he was a diseased spirit and everybody that came with him was carrying the same disease it was like it's a disease of possession it's like somebody possessed them civilization possessed them so therefore, they were driven mad by possession, and they had to possess, and they changed everything to possess, to the whole, from the perception of possession. Love came from possession. It turned into possession. Hate turned into possession. Joy, everything turned into possession. And therefore, nothing was free again. And it drove the people mad, see, but because everybody was obedient and, and going along with the established new terminology and things, see, it was called normal. 
But the behavior, you look at the history of the behavior, the behavior was very, very aggressive. Very, based, the history of, of, of Western civilization is based upon intense, intense amounts of blood sacrifice. They sacrificed your ancestors, the tribes, in order to get you to accept what you accept today. They terrorized psychological warfare and brutal warfare until the people accepted. When Columbus came here, it was during the time of the Inquisition. Europe was in 400, it was in the 400th year of approximately a 500, what they define as a 500 year period of Inquisition. And the Inquisition was all about, because, was that five, 500 years, 900 years ago. Your ancestors, the European, your European ancestors were still praying the old ways. They were still following the spirits. They were still, they were still, still relating to the old ways. So the Inquisition became the means and the vehicle of establishing the authority of the church over the people on the land, turning the church into basically God on earth. And in order to get the people to accept that whole concept, they had the Inquisition. And the Inquisition was basically if you challenged that concept, you were guilty of heresy. And if you were accused of it, you were guilty. See, and it, so like, if I accuse you of heresy, then you got to go in front of the board. <laughs> And he says, you're all guilty, and it's mandatory that we have to torture you. We have to do it. It was mandatory that the church, anybody accused had to be tortured, and they were automatically guilty. They were automatically guilty and had to be tortured and then killed. And anybody that was guilty, then the church got to take all their property. 500 years, 500 years, approximately this went on. So by the time Columbus got here, in the 400th year of, year of it, See, they were all insane. They had been driven mad. Now about responsibility. <laughs> Madness. <laughs> There's a difference between religion and spirit. See, I mean, I personally think that religion is a way of feeding upon spirit. See, because... Spirit. We have a spiritual responsibility to life and the universe. Spirit and responsibility are like one thought. We have a spiritual responsibility. But these dominator religions, they don't teach us about spiritual responsibility. They teach us about guilt, sin, and blame. The trinity of the chain. See, but that whole concept of guilt, sin, and blame is not about responsibility. It's about not taking responsibility. It's about blame. It's about shifting responsibility. See, but once we get the concept of guilt, sin, and blame, and once, it, once we get it that it applies to us, <laughs> just for being here. <laughs> and when they were creating sexism, see, there were these monks or whoever they are, the one that questions I will bring about the Bible, right? Is I don't trust the interpreters. Right? Uh, they were all men, they never took baths and they never saw a woman. <laughs> so that tells you something about the coverage you're going to get, right? <laughs> and that's a historical, factual reality now, right? I mean, <laughs> not being blasphemous or sacrilegious. 
I didn't create it, I'm only a victim of it. But about our responsibility, you see, so, uh, see, we are attacked in such a way, the mining process, the whole concept of guilt, see, the reality is we enter into this world and we will leave this world. That's the way that it works. But in the technologic male-dominator God civilization, it's called birth and death, and it's given a different meaning. And through religious definition, it is basically saying that everybody's guilty for being born. It's the number one crime is just being here. Oh yeah, I remember. But anyway, there was a train of thought going on that the, the, our sin had to do with because we came out of a woman's body. See, there were people that influenced the religions you believe in that thought like that. It was the sin, which I find interesting. But once it sinks into the mind about the industrial concept of death, see, because it's not about spirit. See, I mean, you look at it. If you are a good religious person and you obey the way and accept all of the injustice and all of the aggression and accept all of the wrong and the lie and the deceit and the doubles, you know, the double speak and the illusion and everything, and accept all of those things, then you will go to heaven. And in heaven you will meet a male God sitting on a, on a physical throne, streets of gold, pearly gates, all material. What about the spirit? <laughs> and if you, but if you don't obey, then you go to hell. See, down there, it's a man with a tail and a pitchfork and fire. All physical world concept. Material world concept. Nothing about the spirit. So they plant those concepts and then tell us when we enter into this reality that we're guilty for being here. <laughs> See, so they already tell us we're on the road to hell. And only by being subservient to their brutality and aggression and hypocrisy can we redeem ourselves. Now, that's the practical reality of religion. And I, I, I do not mean to offend anyone, right? But the reality is maybe we should be offended by that practical reality. Now, the guilt part. We enter into this reality. And when we enter into this reality as human beings, our life becomes a continuum of experiences. We have one experience after another. And the, the reason of that, part of the reasoning of that is we are to learn from those experiences to help us deal with the next experiences. So whatever experience we encounter, we are not to judge ourselves by it. We are not to condemn ourselves by the negative experiences. We just got to figure out, well, I've had these experiences now, so we need to figure out how to keep from having those experiences as we enter on into our journey. See, learn, learn from what has happened to us. But we're not supposed to take it as little balls and chains all right, and weigh ourselves down with it. And we'll return to John Chadell speaking in 1993 at the Evergreen State College for support of treaty rights of the Klickadat and Yakama Nations.
Out in the World by Gum, G-U-M. This is First Voices Radio. My name is Tiokas and Ghost Horse. We return to the second half of John Trudell at the Evergreen State College in 1993 in support of treaty rights along the Columbia River in Washington State. Now, when we were all in our tribal common ancestry, let's go back 10,000 years and we're all tribes. See, when we were all tribes, then we had our communities and it was living, it was to live in harmony and respect with the universe. So everybody in the community taught us the lessons we needed to know and we, we knew our purpose, we knew what we were doing, we knew everything was good for us. So we didn't make as many mistakes. And there was no guilt, sin, and blame. It was about spiritual, about responsibility as a human being. Now that's, we have that in a common past. See, then it got changed into, see, so, anyway, and then the other thing I want to add in is, before I forget, is like about the respectability of advertising. The acceptability and respectability of advertising is so normal. But every advertisement basically is an attack against our essence and our spirit because every advertisement is basically telling us that our value will increase by what we consume. Now, you know, talk about, you know, yeah, right, they can't, they can't put subliminals on the movie screen, right? Don't buy popcorn, buy popcorn, but they can't put that on, right? While they subliminally attack us every waking hour we have, it's almost like genocide, spiritual genocide, genocide against the spirit. See, and I kind of think it's working. The reason I kind of think it's working is because, see, America right now looks like Jonestown to me in a very suicidal frame of mind. Because the American citizens, they, they don't listen to the teachings of their ancient ones. They don't listen to the teachings of their past. They listen to, they listen to, to industrial ruling class exploiters. So I see while they have no spiritual affinity, they don't feel spiritually connected to their past. And the way they listen to their industrial exploiters, it shows me the condition that the earth is being turned into, that they have no spiritual relationship to their descendants. It's like whatever this thing is, it's eating up the spirit of the people. See, so now the tribes, all the hell we raise and all we get involved to is we don't want that to happen to us. That's what our trip is. We don't want that to happen to us. Because we see it. And we know that that's not living. We know that somewhere somebody's trading living for existing and surviving. And that's not living. And we must not trick, allow them to trick us into believing or thinking that it is. To survive is to survive. To exist is to exist. And to live is something else. But we're programmed to not like ourselves enough or trust ourselves enough to truly do anything. We're programmed. See, that's what all the doubts and the insecurities and all the things that get, all that pollution, it ends up in our thought process because of the negative way this predatory system feeds upon us. See, well then obviously it reaches a point, the further we become separated from our spiritual reality or our reality to the earth, then the more powerless people start to feel. I live in a society as an oppressed person, and I, I understand and recognize that I'm an oppressed person, but I don't feel powerless. And I turn around and look at the citizens of America, they don't feel oppressed, they feel powerless. And it makes me have to question, because they're allegedly the best educated people in the world. How come they feel powerless? They allegedly have the most, you know, the highest economy in the world, how come they feel powerless? Do you ever feel like something's missing from your life? 
That's what they're sucking out of you. It's that energy that's being taken out. The problems that we're confronted with, it's like, see, we need to find a cure for this disease. This predatory disease that lives in the spirit, the mind, this disease. It's a, it's a, this, we have to find a cure for this disease that affects our perceptions. There is no, like I said, you know, it's not like about, it's not about revolution. To me, every revolutionary loses. Because they got to be badder than the bad to get, to get it and change it. And, you know, and it's like once you pick it up, hard to put it down. It's about evolution. See, and number one, we're here at the right time. Right? We're here at the right time. Number two, time is on our side. It's just a matter of whether we are on time's side. And what it's going to take is for us to, number one, accept ourselves for who we are. See, I have no identity crisis. My DNA is of this earth. I know who I am. And there's nothing anybody going to ever say to change my recognition. I know where I come from. I'm good and bad and a whole mix of a whole lot of things, but that's me. I accept that. And it doesn't make me invalid. It doesn't mean that whatever I have to contribute is, has no value. That, that is, see, that is us. That is our story. We are human beings. We live in a different time when we don't have our ancestors. We don't have the community to teach us the lessons. So within this life, we make harder mistakes because it's a harder world. But in the nature of evolution, there's a reason to all of this. And if we would just get it, within a two or three generation period of time, we could change everything if we would use our minds to create those solutions. First, we have to accept ourselves. We're not guilty. We're responsible for whatever we do, but that's not guilt. And whatever we do, if we can't live with it and we can't handle it, then don't do it. It's that simple. And if we used to do it and don't like if we used to like it, if we used to do it and like it, but now we realize we shouldn't have done it, well, enjoy that you liked it. <laughs> Take anything away from our essence. It's a part of the experience. And we go on. We should never lie to ourselves. Never we, we should never lie to ourselves about what we're up to. Even if we don't like it. <laughs> even if it means it's a hard face to look at. <laughs> you know? We shouldn't lie to ourselves. We should establish our own basis of reality. And the only way we can establish our own basis of reality is to tell ourselves the truth. Because we will start to become more coherent. See, we should sort out these... The, the lies of self-rationalization and self-justification. We should know what we're doing and why we're doing it. And it will influence and affect our behavior. Because we start to see more clearly. And understanding, it's like, you know, like uh, how many times, a lot of situations where someone will say, I mean, somebody's going to start out to do something, and then there's a bad result. And they say, well, that wasn't my intention. Living the life we never intended. And it made me think about that because a lot of times we'd run into this where I know people were trying to do something good, but the result wouldn't be what they intended. And then kind of come to understand one day that it's kind of like our ages and our seasons. You know, the four seasons, the four ages, birth is infant is identity, you know, uh, and youth is, is like learning. 
an adult is like knowledge, and maybe if we get old, it's like wisdom. They run parallel to the, the four. Finally, there's motive, intent, understanding, and action. And a lot of problems that we have in this world is always our intentions will be good, but we never question our motives. <laughs> and so I mean about being honest with ourselves. Our motives are in synchronicity with our intentions, then our understanding will be in synchronicity, and therefore our action will be. So we should never lie to ourselves about what we're up to. It will help us. It will help us, <laughs> you know, because we're, redef we're making our definitions. We're, see, because our definitions of reality are very necessary. We are born, enter into this reality with the abilities to make those definitions. The existing definitions are just ways of mining our spirit. You know, they tell us whoever's got the biggest gun is, is powerful, but that's about violence. It's not about power. They tell us whoever controls the most money is powerful, but that's about, but that's about greed. That's not about power. But if we believe those things are power, then what does that say about us? We're giving it. And it's how we feed it. It's how it drinks our essence. It's our beliefs. I tried to believe, but I had a problem with it because there's a lie in the middle. B-E. L-I-E-V-E. -E. Okay. So either we know or we don't. You know, kind of how it works. But our instincts and our intuitions are a part of knowing. And if we would trust ourselves and accept ourselves, we have it all. We have all this information. Okay, I'm going to close here in a minute. And whatever I left hanging, then try to figure it out. Right? <laughs> Sometimes it's just that way. America drove me crazy. It's not a joke. <laughs> but it's all right. Because I looked at the scene and I thought, wow. Because <laughs> all this is acceptable to them. <laughs> I mean, all the sane and the normal, they voted for Bill and Hillary and Al. I, I can't let them slide. See, Bill Clinton is just another one of those painted masks. His job is to put, his job is to get us to accept what we wouldn't have accepted with George. Because when George puked in the Emperor's lap, that was it. I'm serious. That was it for George. <laughs> Made the good old boys club look <laughs> seriously bad. So we got Bill. Because Bill believes in Bill. <laughs> and he don't believe in nothing else. Bill believes in Bill. He's an interesting paradox. Wouldn't go to, wouldn't go to Vietnam because he, he didn't believe in war and didn't want to kill women and children. But it's all right down in Waco to do it. And those people in Waco, these people were executed on the basis of an accusation. It's very important. Maybe the mo one of the most important things in Bill Clinton's whole trip. See, because the lies about lie, all the other lies that he's telling and he's programmed to put into us are lies. Alright, I mean, we will see if I'm nuts or not about this, but but this thing down here was like direct action. And these people were accused of a crime. Very important to remember that, what, how many people were killed? 80, 90 people. On the basis of an accusation and America accepted it like it was watching cops. <laughs> Like it was a TV show. See, and it's a very serious sign to me. A very serious sign about 
the ruthlessness of the state. I find it very interesting that Bill, see, and the danger of Bill that, is that he's one of, he comes from our generation, and everybody's so desperate to believe. Everybody's so desperate to shoot up the fix of a promise that they accept Bill. But Bill's problem, you know, was when he said he didn't inhale, see, that should have been, everyone should have understood. I mean, really, in, in every sense of the word. <laughs> I know people who never did stop inhaling. And I trust them much more than I trust him. <laughs> See, but it was the lie everybody wanted to hear. See, for our generation, it was a cute lie. We accept it. But the deal is, it opened the door for a whole lot of lies. Now, NAFTA. Let's look at NAFTA. We're watching, well, we're watching Hillary physically turn plastic <laughs> every day, every month that this administration is in office. You look at the pictures of Hillary as the governor's wife. Look at the pictures of Hillary on Vanity Magazine or whatever. Physically, there's a physical transformation taking place here. I'm very concerned about that. <laughs> she needs a health care program. <laughs> so you want to be doing that shit. See, I want to say is because, see, I know how desperate everyone is, see, and the women are being drawn into this political system. And the women are, and so to, to the women, it's a big victory, every woman that gets in there. You know, and I'm not, to me, I don't, political systems, you know, I, to me, I don't think that they plug in. When you vote for president, I don't think the computer's plugged in. <laughs> you know? I think that's a lot of trust to give to one person who, who programs the computers that count the votes. I mean, that's a lot of trust. So anything can be decided and go many ways. So I, I mean, my own personal opinion is that the presidents aren't picked by the people anymore. It's all guerrilla theater, all right? And the decision is made way before and all the rest is just theater so that it hypes everybody up and gives them an adrenaline boost, and new shot of hope, right? And then back down to the same old thing. But NAFTA, now if my understanding of NAFTA is correct, you know, see, as a net result of all these things that are going on, they're going to create what is called an something to the effect of an economic policy board council. They will set economic policy. See, now the economic policies that are set by this group of people once this board is set into place, their economic decisions supersede all existing federal, state, or local, or community laws. And, and, and if, if some country sues because of unfair trade, you have a higher standard that you have, or environmental standards, some country sues that it's unfair, unfair trade to them, then they have to change the environmental standard. <laughs> Now you think about that when you think about spotted owls and trees and you think about the rivers and the lakes and you think about all of the things that you've been working so hard to get to protect the environment. Excuse my language, but these f***s just went in there and completely took it away from you. And who did it? L. He beat up on Ross Perot in a debate. L. The environmental president. See, now you're not going to get to see this next year. You're not going to get to see it next month. But trust me, your children will understand it very well. New world order. New world order. Bill Clinton, 
is a part of it. See, and I bring this out because we should not be blindly led because we need to believe. We should never lie to ourselves. So when we see whatever is going on, we shouldn't lie to ourselves about it, even if we can do no more at the time than tell ourselves the truth about it. But we should call it for what it is. Because otherwise, you know, watch out for the Pied Piper. See, in our generation, our generation, we've always been a threat. See, the way that it works, see, I watched, I've seen so many, the way that it works. If you have a generation or a group of people that are a threat, then you find the one that you can work the most reasonably with and you empower him. They call it puppet governments and shit. So we have a generation that has always been a threat. The baby boom generation rebelled against the system as it was. And the reason the baby boom generation rebelled had to do with economics. America was the most affluent society that ever, had ever been created when the baby boom generation was young. And as a result of this created affluency, the young people rebelled against the existing dark ages the old world order. It terrified the old world order. Because this, this generation, hey, these are the slave workers for the next 30 years. We need them to obey. We need them to feed our economy and our whole weight. So, but it was based upon affluency. So they set into effect a redistribution of the wealth. The redistribution of the wealth took place in the form, the first step of it took place in the form of an energy crisis, which took in the 70s. See, so the price of oil went up, and all good Americans said, well, it's the, the Arabs, we'll blame the Arabs, we accept that reasoning, it's the Arabs. And then, along with the price of the oil, so that meant the price of everything went up, everything. Because this baby boom generation is maturing, they're getting families, they're getting these responsibilities, so tighten the economic noose. Because the other danger of this baby boom generation is that at some point, through maturing and the natural process, they're going to be the only ones alive. <laughs> and all the other ones will be gone. So in order to make sure that their rules still stand, they had another redistribution of the wealth to take care of the 80s. We call it uh, excessive pen uh, Pentagon military spending and savings and loans. But that was an act of treason. It was a political act with a criminal face painting. But it was an act of treason. Anyway, so these billions and billions of dollars are robbed through these, gener through these two decades. So that by the time the baby boom generation can assume what is defined as political power, economic power has been removed about ten generations. And welcome to the neon fiefdom. So, and Bill... See, Bill doesn't get it. <laughs> he truly doesn't. I mean, Bill and Hillary are busy playing the cleavers. Which, see, and that, that world excludes the majority of the world when you play the cleavers. It's all Ward, June, Beeve, and Molly. <laughs> and Eddie. <laughs> Takes care of it. It's got nothing to do with our realities. See, so for us, in our responsibilities... We have the ability, and we must take responsibility to do the best that we can with the best that we got. And understand that we're in the right time and in the right place, and if we will allow ourselves to use our minds as clearly and coherently as we possibly can, we will affect the change that must come. We are a part of evolution. All right? And that's the way that it is. Now, the way that, the way that this 
society, this, this murderous society, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use these kind of words, because to me, when you, when you poison the life support environments, the air and the water, and you make it so that it's unfit to use, and you can no longer use it, then that to me is murder. So we make the decision ourselves how we're going to deal with it, but first we have to trust ourselves enough to use our minds as clearly and coherently as we can. And all the rest of it will fall into place. It will all fall into place. The earth is a living entity. Earth is not death. Earth is life. If the earth was death, then we would have no life. So earth is a living entity. And if we would just allow ourselves to open up in however way we figure out to do it, we can tap into that. The consciousness. It's a matter of whether we're willing to accept that reality. But you watch. If you notice, historically, people feel that people reach a state of powerlessness when they no longer have a relationship to the land. See, and for us, we have to make decisions now. Are we going to be good human beings or are we going to be good citizens? And it's, we can't be both. You know, I didn't create those rules. I didn't make them up. But the reality is they are there. And if we do not lie to ourselves, if we will tell ourselves the truth, then we will understand we can't be both. Because the rules of civilization don't allow it. They prevent it. Because the way their laws are applied, we cannot do both. So we will see if our genetic memories activate. We will see if we remember that we come from a people, no matter who we are, that are older than this civilization. And it's how, and about the thing is, what we need, to me, what we need to evolve towards is understanding that the way, the way to live with the earth is in the tribal, with a tribal perception. To live in harmony with the earth and keep the harmony the best that we can. We can evolve to that situation. We can make the technology and all of these things change to that situation. Now, but the situation has to change. All right? It's going to change. Now, if we just allow it to eat our spirit and erase our brains and our thought process, then the change will come, the earth will change, and we don't get to have this anymore. Or, the opportunity is we are now the antibiotic to this disease that's infesting the world. See, the world has now created an antibiotic, our generation. So if we will use our mind, then we can influence the change. But any way you cut it, it can't stay as it is. Okay, I'm going to close with a poem called... Uh, one of the colors, and I thank you for, uh, the time gets long, and I thank you for putting up with the long time. <laughs> Happiness is how we feel about ourselves, the good we think, the good we feel, the good we do. We are part of the dream time. Happiness is one of the colors. There are shadow casters who trick us about happiness. We are taught to wish for things to make us happy. We are not taught to dream for happiness itself. We can't buy happiness. We can't sell it. We can't steal it. We can't borrow it. And we can't capture it. But we can create it. Love can't bring us happiness. But happiness can bring us to love. Power can't bring us happiness. But happiness can show us power on the line of what is real and what really isn't. 
dream for happiness, somewhere between heart and mind, the spirit of life can be seen. Happiness comes in a way to dream, and I thank you for your time. You've been listening to First Voices Radio with Teokas and Ghost Tours. That was the late Dakota John Trudell speaking in 1993 at the Evergreen State College in Olympia, Washington, sponsored by the Native Student Alliance at that time. Thank you for joining us here. We do this so that all life, all life can live. See you next time.